Hello and welcome back to the Dicebreaker podcast. This is episode 33. Uh, it's a double number. I assume there's something fun I can say about it, but I haven't pre-prepared. So good on you, 33. You're a real one. <laughs> I'm <laughs> backwards ease. It's 33. <laughs> You're a real one. 33. Sorry. <laughs> right. Um, I think yeah, we should... And- Smashing Pumpkins. There we go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. I think we yeah. should just cancel oh, this podcast. 33 and a half, right? There must be something with that. That's a, that's a record thing. Anyway, uh, I am Matt Jarvis. I'm the editor-in-chief of Dicebreaker. I am here with three of the team. I'm here with Johnny Chiodini. Welcome back to the podcast. We haven't had you on a, in at least a week. Hello. Yes, indeed. I've been <laughs> travelling. Sorry, well. hasn't everyone not been on in at least a week? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, yes. Will, she can't start this early with this. We need to get at least yeah, five minutes please. in. Uh, yes, hello. It is nice to be back on the podcast. It has been a while. And also here is Will, who I was going to say a oh. lovely introduction for, but he decided really? to start a fight Here's off some the bat. jerk. It's, you've probably not even noticed I'm here. Hello, it's Wheels from the video team. <laughs> How are you doing, Wheels? I'm fine. I've just eaten like... Four, maybe five pickles. So I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> this uh, podcast they... brought to you by 4DX. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and according to the jar, they are tangy and crunchy. Uh, okay. You'll oh, be smirking. Oh, they're gherkins. Sorry, my bad. Um, yeah. They're not pickles, they're gherkins. But the uh, the witty caption underneath is, you'll be smirking. <laughs> so there you go. Oh. Are you smirking or... <laughs> I am at the moment because I'm saying stupid things on the podcast, which yeah. is usually accompanied by my S-eating grin. But there we go. Smoking gherkin is being smoke. typed in the Google talk as we speak. It's a strong I opening contender for, for episode title, in fairness. We're going we're gonna to struggle to beat that. Uh, oh. I've just discovered I can't spell gherkin because I'm laughing too much. H-E-R-K-I-N, which is a bit of a weird one, actually. <laughs> no, no C, Matt. No C. There we go. Oh, this is just <laughs> riveting stuff from the opening. Matt attempts to spell the word gherkin for the next ten minutes. Uh, rounding out the team, of course, we have Alex Meehan. How are you doing, Meehan? What's the difference between pickles and gherkins? Uh, gherkins, <laughs> gherkins are usually smaller and firmer, I think. Which, I mean, think of that what you will. But, um, yeah, I think your classic pickle is like a, a big old cucumber, you know? If it's smirking, it's a gherkin. If it's <laughs> so, if, something if it's, else, it's a pickle. Uh, if it's a bit fickle, it's a pickle. <laughs> I thought pickle was just a term that was used in the US to describe it. <laughs> no. Because obviously in the UK, pickle I'd usually think of as Branston copyright pickle. I would say a gherkin <laughs> is a subgenre of pickle. You know? Like you've got your bread and butter pickles. Uh, you've got your gherkins, you've got your connoisseurs. Uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of different pickles. <laughs> Matt, this mm. is now the, the pickle podcast. <laughs> the pickle Welcome podcast. Welcome to Picklecast. Uh, I'm Will. Picklecast. <laughs> oh, God. The, the problem with pickles is it becomes, it's like a Godwin's Law thing, right? There's only so much time that passes before Rick and Morty is mentioned. And yeah. then we, we yeah. know we're, be, we're beyond the precipice. So let's get that We've out of the way get now. Out. Get out whilst we still can. Yeah, I was going to try and come up with something for the acronym RPG, like right pickles and gherkins. Um, <laughs> Ricklin now, pickling. Now Rickling you've mentioned pickling. you've mentioned Rick and Morty, so yeah, let's swerve back onto uh, board game news, please. Mm, yeah. We're slamming those brakes on, <laughs> steering straight back into the proximity the of the road. Mobile. 
that we've got pickles <laughs> at home. Okay. <laughs> I'm a fan of Piccolilli. I'm going to put this out there. I like Piccolilli's a solid banger. Yeah, it is a solid banger. That and a good Christmas sandwich, I would say. Mm. Uh, all right, we are we are here. You <laughs> might be surprised from the opening of this podcast, but we're not here to talk about pickles and gherkins. We're here to talk about board games and tabletop RPGs, um, as we are every week. Um, with as much kind of accuracy to that statement as we ever have. Uh, let's, let's swerve straight into what we've been playing this week. Uh, Wills, let's start with you. What have you been playing this week? Oh, yeah, we're doing that bit, aren't we? I was, I was looking at the news. Um, <laughs> were you so Wikipedia-ing we, Pickle? Yeah, no, we were doing um, we were doing a little Let's Play, uh, which is going to be up on the channel pretty soon, Johnny? When is that actually going up? TBD. TBD. TVD. We're doing a we're doing a let's play at the moment. Hopefully, we'll be on the channel by the time that we've done this. Um, it's a sponsored let's play, so you know we're we're sponsored. Just to just to throw that out there, so everyone's aware. <laughs> just so you know, we're we're not sponsored to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it now. Anyway, Are it's we called. Sponsored by Brad? No, no, no we're, we're not. not. We're not. We're here to talk about board games. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've been sorry, sponsored we'll to do a let's please. play of the digital edition of. Fury of Dracula, which is uh, one of the original sort of hidden movement games in which one person plays Dracula and the rest play the other characters in the book, trying to hunt him down uh, and stop his nefarious schemes. Um, it's fine. <laughs> um, I, this, is, this is my first experience with Fury of Dracula as a whole, um, but I've played a lot of hidden movement games, um, namely the Whitechapel ones, so... Letters from White Chapel and Whitehall Mystery, which I think are better games, personally. Uh, I think there's a lot less um, unnecessary filler in those two. Because there's, there, I, I think it's quite an old game, Fury Dracula, so it, it has a bit of baggage to it. Um, it probably doesn't need quite as many cards as it has, is what I would say. <laughs> oh, it is I quite hard, this one... Oh, sorry. Carry on. Go ahead. I was going to say, I assume this uh, digital version is based on the 4th edition? Yeah, which is essentially the 3rd edition, because they just, when WizKids republished it, they essentially just took the 3rd edition that had been out of print for a while, and just made some of the backs of the cards the wrong colour in the first printing, which was (laughs) in a game where it makes a difference, where you can tell what card's coming up on the top of the deck, uh, was an interesting error. Um, but it's Thanks, still WizKids. <laughs> yeah, WizKids not known for let's say consistent component quality. But yeah. I, I to be the dissenting voice for once in a, in opposition to Wills, <gasps> I love Fury of Dracula. Uh, I think it's it is baggy. Like it plays mm. for a couple of hours, um, and I think White Whitechapel and Letters from is it Letters from Whitechapel and Whitehall Mystery. Whitehall Mystery. That's yeah. it. They are really really good tight like hidden movement, cat and mouse chases. I think the thing I like about Fear of Dracula is you really do get into it for two hours. You know, when you get someone that's willing to basically make evil laughs and go, ah, 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 and kind of flit away as Dracula, I think that's where it finds its stride, Um, Mm. which I haven't played loads of the digital version, but I feel like that might be lessened by not being in the same room as other people and having a full table. It's it does dinner. handle an awful lot of it for you. Like, I think, yeah, if I was playing in a, a lobby with internet randoms and I was just waiting to take my turn as Lord Godalming, I think it would, the, the 
the, the um, appeal would wear off. As it was, I actually had a very good time playing with Wills, partly because I absolutely love Dracula. Like it's one of my favourite books. Uh, I've read it many a time, so I was very like, look, I'm 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 Doctor John Seward now. Um, <laughs> I get, I was excited enough that I was reading out bits from the the book, and I also beforehand gave Wheels a potted history of of the well, a potted synopsis of the novel, and it's just. It is one of those ones where I think you do have to put in a bit of work to make the theme truly sing. But there is also just some, like, it's it's just good. It is good, clean, hidden movement fun. And there was one point where others oh, completely thrown for a loop thanks to Wheels just messing with me a little bit. And I was convinced <laughs> Wheels was somewhere. I was like, oh, I've got him, I've got him, I've got him. The net is tightening. He was... He couldn't have been further away from where I thought he was. So. Oh, I bet he felt good then. Yeah. Imagine the smirking gherkin. <laughs> Please do not start say... referring to your co-workers as smirking gherkins. <laughs> yeah. I would say one of the things that um, that I missed from Whitechapel or, or Whitehall was you always know where they started. Um, so like you don't have much control over your starting position in Dracula, whereas like in the other two, first of all, you get to you get to pick where your characters are actually going. Um, and then also you can see where the uh, the actual scene of the crime was at all times, which is like a different coloured marker. So mm. then you have to try and figure out where they went from there. Because with Dracula, I felt, and to be fair, we haven't um, we haven't done the whole thing yet. We just sort of did a practice round. Um, but with yeah, with Dracula, I felt that like Johnny was just sort of like randomly searching around the world with no real leads to go on for a long time, which made it feel a bit anticlimactic. I think. Because um, it was just sort of like, yeah, I'm, I've just been sat in Spain for the past twenty minutes, just it chilling. Felt hugely bloody climactic when I thought you were in Budapest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like, I think one of the things that the reason that I prefer the Whitechapel games, you know, not talking about theme because I know there's some uh, there's some issues that people rightfully have with the theme. Um, yeah, I, like, I, yeah, it's not my. Yeah, see, which but. which is fine, but like from a, from a purely mechanical um, viewpoint, I just find that it's such a fun premise in the first place having that cat and mouse chase, and I think the more that you can strip away and just get to the the central fun of it, and just like weaving these little webs across the map and just like cackling to yourself as they think that you've gone one way when you've gone the other, that was like the sort of the pure fun of it for me when I was playing those hidden movement games, and I it felt like there were so many obstacles to get through for me to get to that in Fury of Dracula because there's so much on top of that which mm. for some might be like oh cool I get items and, and like it feels like you've you've melded Arkham Horror together with it or something you know where you've got all of these random events and stuff like that but that's not really what I was looking for I think so that's probably why I didn't, didn't gel with it as much yeah I think that's fair it is it definitely leans more into the thematic like you say there are yeah. events it's not super balanced because the even when you get into combat, it's kind of like a rock, paper, scissors-y thing. Yeah. Whereas White Chapel and White Hall, when you corner them, that's kind of the game to some degree. Mm. Like, it's, you know, there's not a lot to be argued about there. Whereas Dracula can, you can you can do everything you need to do, but the luck just goes against you. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's that's a real fair assessment. I think, yeah, it, it feel, sorry. Uh, it, it just feels a lot more like a sort of detective game rather than an RPG with hidden movement, you know, or something mm. like that. Sorry, what were you saying, Mean? Well, well, I've got an argument for you that might sway you. <gasps> uh, if you play Fury of Dracula, you can pretend to be 
Gary Oldman turning into a cloud of gas. <laughs> me and that's me that every morning. Like I don't. I don't need a board game to do that. I'm always draw. Gary Morgan. Uh, Gary Morgan. <laughs> Gary Oldman turning into a cloud of gas. <laughs> Gary Morgan. <laughs> Gary Neville turning into a cloud of gas. <laughs> Fear of Dracula's alright. I've not played it in a while. Um, but yeah, I can imagine the digital version takes away some of the enjoyments that you mm. have of tensely watching your opponent over the board trying to figure out what's going on in their mind. Can't do that. There's, yeah, there's also that kind of poker version. face that you lose as well, mm. where it's like when you're playing hidden movement, you want to be sat there and just sort of like you, you even use because I. When I used to play a lot of Whitechapel, I was playing with like a, an ex-girlfriend who was super into it. Um, so even just like eye movements, you had to be really careful because if you kept looking at the place you were moving, she'd pick off on it instantly. So I had to like really get my poker face on and like feign, like looking at the whole board and using my little map so she can see what was going on and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I. That's. I think that is one of the things, like I say, with Dracula because uh, if I'm remembering right, in the rule book it asks you to seat in specific positions around the mm. board. So it does almost become that very theatrical, you know, Dracula is at the head of the table and everyone else is crowded round, kind of bent over this map, trying to plot out. It's Whereas, you know, Dracula is in Stoke-on-Trent and everyone else is in, in, you know, the home counties. Sort of loses the edge a little bit. It's also, uh, it's it's another one for the the hilariously animated uh, uh, board pieces, um, like... Dracula's thing is like his eyes are shifty left to right, so you know he's a villain. <laughs> but he's also gently swaying from side to side. <laughs> he so pissed. It's very, very funny. Yeah, he has a bit too much blood. Yeah, well, I mean, Lucy's not in the game, so we all know she's she's bought the farm and Mina's been bitten. Yeah, it's a sequel, I think technically. Yeah, oh yeah, Mina has a special ability but also yeah. doesn't she have a disadvantage she starts yeah, off with a bite, already, yeah. Yeah. Starts off with a bite, a bite token yeah yeah she's been bitten Ooh. yeah 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 <laughs> but she is she is you know harker by that point obviously so you know she and jonathan are wed etc etc i'm gonna bore wheels to death again <laughs> <laughs> oh well yeah i'm sure in don't the you mean on death <laughs> 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 I'm sure that could be further explored in the Fury of Dracula fan fiction I'm going to write. <laughs> anyway. Wills, have you played anything off. else? Who's, who's, who else is on the podcast and has played something? I sure haven't. But I will, <laughs> oh, okay. I'll jump in quickly here and say uh, over the weekend I was meant to play various things and then for personal reasons I, my entire weekend ended up being on the phone to various companies Amazing. making complaints and sorting out big issues. But what, something I did manage to play in lieu of not actually playing the RPG I was meant to or Root or Scythe or anything else, um, I played a little bit of the new Jackbox Party Pack, which isn't a board game, but is it kind of blurs the lines a bit because mm. although it's a digital game, there are definitely elements of those games that very much draw from party games and I think right now as well we were playing with a lot of friends and we were kind of streaming it um, streaming the screen and then everyone was on their phones so mm-hmm. it has the element of a party game uh, Classic. And I, 
I just people <laughs> always on their phones. I would say that Blather Round in the new Jackbox Party Pack is very good, and if it were a tabletop party game, I would rush out and buy it instantly. And I'm wow. I think even on the menus of some of them, they have them set up like they're in little board game boxes. Like yeah, I you're right. Yeah. I don't. I don't think they um, shy away from the fact that it feels very much like a board game. But yeah, and scroll, uh, not scroll, drawful. I think drawful, is essentially yeah. just illustrations. Yeah. There are very pretty much you know. Yeah. They definitely take some very direct things, but but Blather Round is really really good. Um, mm. It's essentially a word game, um, but it's as close to being a tabletop game as possible right now. So that's why I'm justifying mentioning it. Yep, fair um, enough. But it okay, basically we, we'll allow it. It forces you to describe things in very kind of abstract terms. Um, so it's like it's a thing about a pl- a pale critter, um, and then you use equally kind of vague statements, and people make guesses to try and narrow down. Uh, what you're talking about so in that case it would be Moby Dick or something like that so (laughs) no I'm not gonna say that carry on Matt Jones (laughs) but yeah it's I've been very entertained by it so if you're looking for something that is digital and is easy enough to play over the internet but isn't quite a tabletop game I would Mm. recommend it I mean Jackbox games up and down are wonderful so Mm. Johnny you uh you seemed like you didn't have anything to say there but we did play thousand year old vampires together on the stream yeah, I was I was planning on going at some point. I just opened oh, okay. it up for literally anyone else who might want to talk. <laughs> oh no, it's Matt who anything. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. Well, Johnny, tell well, us about thousand year old vampire. <laughs> it's a very vampire yes. heavy week. It is. Yeah. It is a very vampire heavy week. Um, Spooks. So, uh, thousand year old vampire is a journaling RPG, kind of in a similar vein to uh, Adira Slattery and Fen Slattery's The Machine, which is wonderful and we've talked about quite a bit before. Um, but it is a game in which you are a vampire. Uh, you decide sort of when you start off, um, and it's a lot more structured than um, than the machine in a way that actually put me off playing it when I first read the rules. Because you write down, you generate prompts, and you write down um, just a snippet of a memory. Basically, you, you write down a recollection of something, and you put together a bunch of these snippets to make one memory, but you can only hold so many memories, but you can put memories into a journal, which means that they still exist, and you can read them and know that they were true as a vampire without actually remembering them yourselves. But you can only hold so many journal entries because you're a vampire with, I don't know, very small arms or something. <laughs> um, like, basically, it's a game about only being able to hold so much information while living for a, a millennium. Um, and sort of having to choose what you want to remember, the people you want to remember, and what's important to you, and sort of seeing how that impacts on your sense of self. Which, if you're trying to write it down in a journal, seems like a nightmare of just crossing stuff out. But Wheels and I decided to stream it, and we were playing in a Google Doc, so we could just strike through text, cut and paste it to other places. And you know what? It was really good fun. Mm. The, um, The viewers were helping generate prompts, which was challenging, but... Yeah, we just sort of, between us, uh, spent a couple of hours um, just sort of typing away at a journaling RPG. We, it was so much fun. We we did it twice. Um, <gasps> or we will have done it twice by the time this podcast goes live. <laughs> so uh, that should be on the channel for you to watch. Type, type, mm. type. Uh, we're a Greek vampire. Type, yeah, type. Uh, my favourite part of it, Johnny, was how sexy everything was. It was, oh, everything was quite sexy. It's vampires, that's by default, right? Yeah. yeah, we were bisexual ancient Greek vampires. Like, if it, if it, yeah. it wasn't sexy, I mean, what, what were we playing at, really? <laughs> yeah. But I think um, one of my favourite things about Thousand Year Vampire is that, like, like, you said it was quite um, system-y, but I think that's actually one of the draws to me, because, like, a lot of those 
kind of uh, solo journaly RPGs are quite sort of nebulous and a bit more like, oh, take you know, take what you feel from this prompt. And sometimes the prompts are, are so vague, it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, I I could have just sort of made something up like this rate, you know. Whereas like, there there are a lot more physical systems that you interact with and that you have to kind of manage with Thousand Year Old Vampire, which makes it feel a bit more chunky, a bit more like an actual game, if that makes sense. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. Which yeah, I think I think can like maybe be a really good way of bringing in people who aren't as comfortable just sort of writing on their own and, and need a little bit more of a, a jump start and are looking for more of a sort of like more gamey game hmm. yeah that's fair enough um, yeah. apart from that I'm playing Deadlands and Dungeons and Dragons what's new <laughs> <laughs> yep exactly yep uh, right. okay I'll go <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've been playing, well, I played some Mysterium, mm-hmm. and it sort of set the theme for my tabletop experiences this week, that being, oh dear, not very, <laughs> I'm not very good, meaning uh, Mysterium, we lost both times. I don't know how, really, we were just so bad, like, <laughs> I, I think That's it was probably a mixture. Why, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was a mixture of the cards. I wasn't the ghost at any point. My friends were, two of my friends were the ghosts. Uh, and I think they were just getting really awkward cards that maybe didn't work very well. Um, and also we were being stupid and talking about S Club 7 instead of paying attention to the game. <laughs> so there you go. That's a lesson for you. Um, well, for people who may not have played Mysterium. It's a pretty well-known game where you have to interpret cards uh, and guess which of the sort of people you have to like work out a crime. So there's like uh, a culprit, there's a location of the the crime, uh, and there's a weapon that was used. And everyone has to try and guess their individual set of you know cards. And then at the end, everyone has to you know they compete to guess the final like. Oh, which set of cards was it that that tells the story of this dead person's demise? Um, but yeah, so that wasn't very successful, uh, uh, which also bleeds into the game of Scythe I played. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Scythe is back. The Scythe update is back for this week at least. Uh, yeah, I lost, which is you know nothing new. Um, we, <laughs> we even. Um, Handicapped, my friend always wins. We were like, okay, you're not allowed to be Saxony. Uh, you've got to be someone else. So we made them Crimea, which was actually a very bad idea. Because apparently in free player games, Crimea has a big advantage. Um, I can't remember why. But it certainly seemed like they were doing very well. Uh, I don't think it helped the fact that they had done an enlist on the upgrade action which meant that anytime anyone did an upgrade they would get uh, a combat card obviously being Crimea exchange (laughs) combat cards for resources I just kept doing upgrades because I was like yeah it seems like the easiest thing to do not realizing that what I was doing was feeding my friend almost a constant source of combat cards which in the end came around to bite me in I, dare I say it, the butt. <gasps> uh, Who would have guessed then, that would happen? <laughs> I, I, no, 
believe it. This was. I don't understand. I was I was digging holes in my back garden, and I kept finding big piles of gold. So I just I just dug the gold out and chucked it into my neighbor's back garden. Now apparently he's very rich. I don't know what's happened. <laughs> Terrible stuff. So yeah, I was last, and my friends beat me, and I was rooting for my other friend because I was desperately wanting them to win. Because just anyone but the friend who always wins. And alas, they did not. So there you go. Uh, maybe next time I can write Mr. Jarvis into it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not great at Scythe, so I feel like I'd just be more fodder. <laughs> I, it's like, I oh, I accelerated their victory. To bring your A game, Mr. Jarvis. Someone has to defeat this. The, the, the last time we played Scythe on the PC, we played with Wheels as well, and my PC overheated, crashed yeah, me out, and replaced me with an AI, which then proceeded in two turns to do more than I'd done the entire game, <laughs> which was only, you know, which really showed me up, I suppose. So Yeah, I, I didn't get on with the digital edition to Scythe. I was done about halfway through the game. <laughs> you, I would say, and this isn't a slight against your character, Mr. Wheeler, but I would say... <laughs> You were you were rather badly behaved during that game, in the sense that it got to a point where you were like, I can't be bothered with this anymore. I'm just going to do anything Look, but pay attention to this. I'm game. sorry, but I was like, I had my partner in the other room, and I was like, Yeah, yeah, no, it won't be too long. <laughs> Why then, did you say that? This is science. Yeah, it's science, <laughs> mate. Come on. Well, no, because at the time, uh, none of you knew about my partner. So I yeah, was like, I oh. thought you were like, none of you knew that as soon as I get an idea that I'm going to finish this in an hour, that's it. No, but... because it was definitely more than an hour, I'll tell you that. We, we must have been playing for like, what, two to three? Um... No, come on. I mean, like, when you have a four-player game, sure, it goes on a bit longer. But, I mean, yeah, it wasn't helped by the fact that Mr. Jarvis's laptop just yeah. decided to self <laughs> Also, yeah. like, that game, like... It. That digital edition drags. Like they're supposed I'd to speed the game up. Than the normal it, one. It gets things done. It is quicker, but it is still long. There are yeah. Like I wish you could just turn off some of the animations oh, just God. to be like snap, 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 snap. Yeah. I'm get like, through. I know what's going on. It's like I don't need to move, move this, this in slow motion. Slow meeple floating <laughs> across. I, I, no, I'm going to defend this. How dare you? This is all part of the cinematic experience. Oh, like, right. I just think that you need to have a bit more patience. And even, look, if I, one of the least patient people in the world, can sit through a game of Scythe I know I'm going to lose, then I think you you could potentially, you know, maybe even win a game. I'll be honest, Ian. I was, I think I was playing on the laptop and next to me I had a PC playing Slate the Spire after a while because I was just like, <laughs> I can't, can't handle well, this anymore. It's so slow. Like, just waiting for your turn in that, in that particular game that we played was taking about eight years. And then you didn't realise it was your turn for ages. You're like, oh. Because there's no, like, this is another thing. The UI is really illegible in that, I find. So, like, it was like, I would have people say, Wheels, it's your turn. I'm like, oh, how am I supposed to know that? Mm, I would say that Rue is... I would say a significantly more complex game than Scythe, mm. but the digital version of that is both clearer and quicker to play I, a game of Root. I would love to play the digital version of Root because I love Root. I think well, I think I'd really enjoy it. Well, hop that. on board. Yeah, I don't know if, I, if, if there's a spare code knocking around, but yeah, if you fancy uh, grab me on. 
<laughs> Good luck with that one. <laughs> All right, shall we roll into news? Yeah, All right. Like a so, bloated pig in mud, rolling into the, into the news. <laughs> Yep. People want to try and make the transition smooth and quick. It just never works out, does it? There always has to be something. Uh, okay, well, first up, we have a little bit of news on the next release for Warhammer Age of Sigmar. Um, I think Johnny and Will, you both tend to favour Sigmar over 40k, right? You're... Yeah. I'm kind of starting to swing back to 40k, to be honest. Hmm. Um, I, I played my first game of 40k a few months ago and was like, ooh... That's a lot closer to what I was searching for all this time in Age of Sigmar. Um, so yeah, I'm, I think I'm actually starting to lean back mm. toward the original. But yeah, I think I, I'm genuinely, uh, ge- sorry, generally more interested in the lore of of the fantasy um, version. Like, I think a bit too much of uh, 40k is just like it's the Imperium. It's like yeah, cool, all right. <laughs> yeah, the snake has begun eating its own tail at some point. Yeah, it's like oh, instead of being this satire of this, now you just think it's cool. Yeah, uh, it's I mean, doing something looking... for too wrong, too long, ironically, and then you're not doing it ironically anymore. Yeah, looking at the pictures of this Age of Sigma uh, expansion, there are like snake people. And stuff. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm yeah, already Marathi. interested. See, cause, right yeah, because like I look at the fantasy stuff and Age of Sigmar, like like both like the original and the the new Age of Sigmar lore, and like you look at each faction, you're like, oh yeah, that's dope. Oh, that's dope. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Oh yeah, that's cool. So like most of the things that you look at, you're like, oh, that's quite interesting. With 40k, it's like, yeah, I like Tyranids. Yeah, don't. Yeah, there are more kind of vibrant, colourful factions in yeah. you know fantasy battle as was, but or in Age of Sigmar, you know, also the. the whatever they call the Sigmarines are there, sure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is quite, like, I, th- I think, to be honest with you, I think Age of Sigmar is, because obviously releasing Age of Sigmar was a big reset, they've got a bit more flexibility to do wacky things with the story. Um, so, you know, obviously, uh, the Indomitus, the big release for, for uh, 40k and the launch of 8th Ed was basically like, Necrons are back! We've made new Necrons! But, now with this one it's you know it's like oh hang on a minute has marathi i I'm, i mean i'm not actually up on the story but isn't it like marathi has released uh slanesh but also like has sort of won so yeah so this is the broken realms it's the first release in broken realms which is there speaking of law it's very kind of narrative focused it's law heavy um and it is a series of books and new sets so the first one marathi um, is out, I believe, soon. So the the starter set for this, uh, Shadow and Pain, which is among the most Warhammer of titles you can yep. give to a box of miniatures, mm. uh, is out this Saturday, in fact, the 14th of November. Um, but yes, they kind of describe it as focusing around Murphy, um, and it's the... So it's kind of the end of the Soul Wars, which is how a lot of... I think Sigmar kicked off, right? It's like a lot of the early boxes were titled mm. after Soul Wars and so on. Um, so, and I believe the the next big edition is out next year, if I'm remembering right. So I guess they're they're kind of rolling into that with this kind of world changing lore and so on. Um, but this box, uh, as you kind of alluded to, focuses around five factions: um, so Stormcasternals, Daughters of Cain, uh, Cities of Sigmar, Slaves to Darkness, and the Idenef Deepkin. 
so there are kind of new rules, there's new models, and there are missions that are kind of set along that storyline. Um, but I don't know the exact details of how it relates to Slanesh and so on. I'm not the person who's up on Warhammer lore, but I do know that Shadow and Pain features the Hedonites of Slanesh and the Daughters of Cain. Yeah, um, and so I believe this is, there's this yeah. is kind of like the horny versus box. Uh, cause, <laughs> cause, I mean, I am seeing people riding around on what looks like dinosaur anteaters. Yeah, with like with like nine cat o nine tail whips. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so Slash is yeah. like the chaos god of of being naughty. You know, uh, <laughs> where can I sign up? So, um, and then obviously Marathi has the daughters of Cain. Cain being the old elven god of. Uh, like bloodshed basically um so essentially they're horny for blood whereas the slaneshis are horny for horny's sake and they're kind of having a horny off is what is what i'm assuming is the yeah, yeah. Matt, it's the general you synopsis uh, well, you write that as the well games games workshop didn't put it exactly like that um <laughs> The, uh, the campaign book comes with a table for generating safe words. Mm. <laughs> the box is called Shadow and Pain, not S and M. So, uh, but but they're yeah they're putting out this starter box uh, this Saturday, and then they're putting out four kind of smaller. Um, uh, they use a particular like battalion boxes, so they mm-hmm. this big box will have the rules. It will have pretty much everything you need to play. I think other than dice. Um, and then the boxes are other armies or um, factions from that timeline and those battles that you can then add in. Um, but it seems like they're going kind of all in on the lore aspect. Um, and from the sounds of it, it will change kind of the mortal realms significantly in terms of the setting itself. It's yeah, con- considering like you know, this is like a um, just a lore dump essentially. Like it's it's actually quite a big deal, I think, for people who are really invested in the story. Because there there are a lot of things that are actually changing around and will maybe sort of like shift allegiances and all that kind of stuff. So because I, I think because the way that Sigma works is you essentially have four grand alliances which are uh chaos, death. order, death and destruction. So like order are all your boring good people. Uh chaos follow the chaos gods death are pretty much all the undead people and then destruction is like the orcs and the the people who just want to you know just want to watch the world burn um so it like that's kind of been the deciding factor on like what you can bring as an army together so like you know you can your skaven and your core knights you can shove them together because they're with chaos whereas this might actually change up sort of like what lists are available to people as well so it seems like quite a big event which is pretty Mm. cool I'm mm. glad you uh, defined those different groups, Wills, because I would ask you, pray tell, what is the difference between death and destruction? <laughs> well, you don't necessarily have to kill people to destroy them, you know? This is true. This As is you'll find true. out in the Battle of the Hornies. Um... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're calling it now. Uh, speaking of death and destruction, but not necessarily horniness, uh, the next story we have on this list, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, speak for yourself. Let's not go into it. Uh, There is a a Terminator RPG on the way, as in The Terminator. um, Oh my goodness, The Terminator. Of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but not necessarily fame. Um, So this is coming from Nightfall Games, who are best kind of known for SLA Industries, um, which I think is normally pronounced Slay Industries, but 
I can't do that because that's not how it actually looks and it breaks all my programming to call it that. It's, it's got nothing to do with drag queens. Uh, which is like a, a kind of, I think, pretty well known in the 90s, kind of like this underground RPG along the lines of cyberpunk in terms of its aesthetic. It was quite grungy um, and it was brought back a few years ago uh, as a second edition and they have now announced that they are working on a Terminator RPG called The Terminator RPG. Wow, I didn't expect that. <laughs> but one thing that is promising about this, we've covered a few kind of licensed RPGs um, on Dicebreaker over the last few months uh, and year or so. This one is not based on D&D 5e, which instantly makes it stand out. Oh, hello, what's up? So <laughs> it's, based on, it's based on the system used in uh, Slay. Uh, so it's the S5S system. Uh, which is not a catchy name, um, but it'll be built around that, uh, and it uses six d tens, so it uses one success die and five skill dice. Um, but they... oh, success five skill is that the idea? I haven't. I I would guess that that's why it's called that. Um, I don't know for sure though because I'm not familiar. Um, but we will all be able to be a little more familiar next month because they're actually putting out a quick start set of rules and a complete scenario, apparently. So you can kind of dive in. It'll be completely free. Uh, and you can kind of give it a, give it a go. Um, that's about all we know for the time being. They've put out the front of the quick start book, which is just the big Terminator robot in flames. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very Terminator. Mm. Um, yeah. But beyond that, that's... That's all they've kind of announced so far. We don't know when the full thing's going to be out. We don't know if they have plans um, for further adventures or scenarios or kind of where in this timeline it's set. It's not clear whether it's original Terminator timeline, yeah. like Terminator 2, Genesis. You know, complicated. <laughs> so, yeah. But uh, it's kind of interesting to see, I think. You know, there's. I don't believe there's any kind of big anniversaries around Terminator. As far as I know, that film... Right now. The, the next film got cancelled. <laughs> yeah, right now the franchise is, how would I describe it? Uh, lounging around in the bog uh, after some disappointing films. Yes. Um, with just a lot of CGI and weird CGI on Schwarzenegger. Hmm. Mm. Genesis was bad, but I enjoyed it. Uh, it was one of those things where I sat <laughs> there going like, I, I don't hate being here, but I can look at this and go, this is like not a good film um but it just kind of trundled through it uh but yes i think uh, if the best uh i think if the best you know praise you can give a film is i don't hate being here then maybe that's a sign that it's yeah not that great no but you know it it passed the time but it'll be interesting to see what what they bring to the setting that is kind of unique you know are you playing as the resistance are you playing as terminators I would, I would assume not, but is there the ability to play as a Terminator? Uh, let's move on to the next story. Alex Meehan, tell us about oh. the bank. Laughing, you already done said the name. <laughs> I don't know, that's the way he said it. <laughs> Made me laugh, although to be honest, I don't know what the right way to say it is. Uh, yeah, the bank, the bank. I don't. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to say that many times, let's just say that. Uh, yeah, this is a push your luck game uh, that was originally created in 2001 uh, by 
Bruno Falguti, uh, uh, who also made um, Citadels, um, which is a very popular game, uh, and Leo Colovini. Apologies all round if I butchered any of those. Um, yeah, it's like a betting game. So you you you're in a casino. Let's imagine. Uh, and these all these different tables, uh, and you can bet on the different tables using your chips. Uh, and then you take turns to play cards on each of those tables. Uh, and one of those cards is a race card, which basically increases the amount of winnings you can get on that table. And another one is a trap card. <gasps> no, not that card. Not not the Yu-Gi-Oh one. Um, it essentially, if you manage to play a trap card where no one else has played a trap card, then you get to take all the winning for yourself instead of anyone who has placed their token there, which is like their player piece. Or you can simply place tokens, you know, your token on a table. Uh, and if no one plays a trap card, then everyone who's placed their token there gets to take money. So it's like a, yeah, it's like a do you think someone's going to try and take it all instead of other people or do you think they're going to play nice uh, there's also like a, a dummy card that's meant to be like a possible uh, trap because you play them face down and it's currently on kickstarter until december the third um so this is the first time the game has been uh, reprinted in english since 2001 so it's been a while, and the art's alright. It's a lot better than the original, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm kind of interested about. I've not played loads of Citadels, but I hear uh, nothing but kind of good things. But the the premise sounds interesting. Of the kind of like you're tricking people into going towards tables that seem like they might have a big payout, mm, and then yeah. activating your trap god. Yeah, uh, and the money stays there throughout every single round. So any money that you put on a table remains on the table until the end. So eventually, with the addition of race cards, there could be some pretty big winnings on there. So, oh. yeah. Alright, cool. I mean, looking at the Kickstarter, it doesn't seem like it's it's about halfway full so far. Um, so, who knows if it will make its thing. Um, but I'm surprised it's not been, you know, Fajiti's a relatively big name. Like It just seems like this one maybe just slid by for 19 years and nobody kind of looked at it. Um, but it seems like we've we've seen this spate of people going back to older designs. I think as board games obviously picked up in momentum and people started mm. to know these names a bit more. Um, yeah. Because I've I've never come across it before now. So. Neither have I, Mister Jarvis. But now I have. <laughs> and so have you, dear listener. Right. <laughs> <laughs> On to the next one. Me and this is also one of yours. Tell us about Crack the Code. Oh, Crack the Code. Terrible, awful artwork of Crack the Code. I can't unsee the fact that someone said they look like Avon and the Chipmunks in human form because they're dressed in blue, green, and red. Or I guess the Rice Krispy Elves or whatever the Rice Rice Krispy Elves are. I did see that, yeah. I did see that comment and I was like, yeah, no. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Yeah, this is from uh, Studio Indie Boards and Games. We've done quite a few... Uh, well-known titles like uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue and uh, the Resistance Avalon, that well-liked in-roll game. Uh, this is a co-op board game, 
uh, where players are hacking to stop hacking, I think. Counter-hacking. Uh, yeah, the story is a bit like... Eh. Even story <laughs> might be quite a generous word to use in relation <laughs> yeah. to this. There isn't really one to explain why these weird, shiny people are doing anything. But, um, <coughs> yeah, the, it, you've got... The premise of it actually sounds quite fun. Um, you've got this tray and there are different coloured balls in there and it kind of represents a pattern uh, and you have like a goal card that's facing away from you. It's facing to the other players. Uh, so you don't actually see what pattern you need to make your balls into or you can't see what <laughs> balls you have. Um, so... <laughs> Stay on target. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, they're giggling in the back. Um, <laughs> putting such emphasis on it. They're marbles. Look, I'm just saying. Stay like on game. target. Okay. Um, so all the players have to choose an action to perform from the available cards that have been drawn that turn. Uh, but they obviously choose the action for the other players' uh, trays. Uh, and hope that their teammates are choosing good actions for theirs, and they only win the game once everyone has met all their patterns on, on their goal cards. So it sounds quite fun. Hmm. The Kickstarter's up until November the 22nd, and it looks like it's going to come sometime next March. Well, the, the bit that really excited me, Ian, in this article was the snippet yeah. where it says... The players need to cooperate with each other to discover what the network code is by issuing commands to move data packets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they've, picked, I mean, they've picked a solid theme here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't quite know why they've gone for this theme. Uh, the artwork, like we've already said, doesn't really fit with it very well either. Um, I think the main thing that's a big, you know, big draw is just the idea of the game. Like, I think I've played. Like um, Team Free or things like that, where you kind of have to work with each other to towards a goal, and there's like some sort of barrier in the way. Uh, uh, but yeah, it it sounds a bit more cerebral than that, maybe. Yeah, it seems go. neat. There's been quite a few. Like I feel like marbles are coming back into fashion because there was <laughs> potion explosion a few years ago. <laughs> I'm it's imagining like... you on the front of a newspaper. <laughs> Marbles are coming back into <laughs> Marbles are back. Bye, bye, bye. Now, whilst you can. Stocks but, for marbles are going through the roof. Because <laughs> for a while, I feel like the, the games you thought of when you thought of marbles were things like Mousetrap. They were, you know, Scrooble Scramble. Those kind of very kiddie games. Yeah. yeah, and now we've got... There was a Phil Walker Harding game, the Sushi Go creator... Um, Gizmos, I think, had yes, marbles in. in the office, yeah, potion explosion. This, mm. so I feel like people are kind of looking at components beyond just let's stick some miniatures in the box, um, which is quite interesting. You know, it makes a big difference than having just four cardboard tokens or something like that. So yeah, I'm kind yeah. of intrigued by this. It seems pretty. It's like under twenty quid, I think. So yeah, uh, let me check that. <laughs> Look, I don't know all the details of every story I've ever written right from my head. Are you are you <laughs> kidding me, Mia? That is... How dare you? Uh, it's £19, so yeah, you're right. 19 is a smaller number than 20. Carry on, mm -hmm. Matt Jarvis. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I'm not going to be carrying on. It will be Alex Mia once again oh, uh, with this it. story from today <laughs> or 
like three days ago if you're listening to the podcast, which you are because you're not us. It's Rift Nights. <laughs> it's Rift Nights, everyone. Um, this is from Red Raven Games, who are known for making Above and Below um, and the sequel Near and Far. Uh, yeah, Rift Nights. It's a asymmetric game where players split into kind of two teams, and one team takes control of boring nights, I suppose, or <laughs> and the other team gets to take control of demons. Oh. I mean, I don't know about you, but I know which side I'm picking. Yeah, I feel like once mm. you've sorted out the teams, one side has already lost, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and they're sort of fighting in a monastery, which is atop, like, a portal to the underworld where all the demons live. And the demon's like, we've had enough of this, we want to go up to the surface. And the knights are like, nah, mate, we can't allow that. So that's basically the game. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, you control different uh, characters that have different abilities. And, you know, as it's asymmetric, the knights need to protect these elders or something uh, until uh, daylight. And then the demons need to break the barrier to the surface. So they have different objectives. Mm. Uh, and... Um, yeah, um, basically that. You have different tiles that sometimes uh, cause different events to happen when characters go on them, and you can kind of create different maps every time you play. Um, it was designed by T. Alex Davis, who hasn't done an awful lot. Um, they co-designed Deep Vents, which came out this year, um, which looked interesting about like underwater eco underwater ecosystems um and the game is up on kickstarter until november the 23rd and you can get it for 38 pounds which you know considering the game what it looks like that's not terrible like there aren't miniatures in it but i don't really give a rat's fart about that So. It's more than twenty, less than forty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. Like Red Raven, I feel are generally known for, like like you say, near and far, above and below, like these kind of big story, heavy-ish games. Mm. And this seems to be much more in the lighter end. But they did put out there was a game that was like inspired by um, Endless Runners. I can't remember the name, Mega Land, I think. Mm. Um, but they seem to be kind of doing stuff on the smaller scale as well now. This I. I quite like the look of this. Like I like the the art yeah. style. Like you say, the yeah. premise is a bit like meh, you know, knights, demons, monastery. But Eight Minute Empire is quite diddy as well, and that's quite a nice little. That's true. Yeah. 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 They're they're stretching their wings a bit, and I like a good asymmetric game as long as it works. So, yeah. Yeah. Alright, uh, the last not, headline we have Not to name names <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying anything In the vast pool of asymmetric games Matthew Jones <laughs> um, Yes, the last headline we have is uh, A game that very much does what it says on the box It's called Feed the Kraken um, Johnny, you're up <laughs> <laughs> So this is, it's another hidden role game uh, Which seems to be all the rage right now uh, as always, uh, where you play members of a crew um, on a ship, and you're trying to sail the ship towards a location, but there are three kind of groups within the ship who are all trying to sail it to different places on the map. Uh, so you've got the the sailors who just want to kind of get it to port, uh, unload it, and so on. You've got pirates, 
um, who are trying to take it to their secret cove so they can kind of, you know, I guess steal from it. And then you've got cultists who are trying to steer it towards the gaping mouth of a kraken and feed everybody to the kraken. Um, and for some, for some reason, they've all ended up on this same ship and are basically <laughs> tussling over the steering wheel. Um, which isn't called a steering wheel, but my mind's gone blank, and I can't remember what the steering wheel of a ship uh, no, is it's called. The official term, steering yep. wheel. <laughs> the, the sailing, the sailing wheel. Um, so this plays with. It's very much like a big group game. It plays, I think, from with five to eleven people. Oh wow! Um, so it's yeah, it's you know pretty accommodating as far as uh, groups I mean, go. It's a whole ship, Matt. Yeah, uh, and. You can. It plays. It's also quite long compared to things like the Resistance. Um, so it's it plays in forty five to ninety minutes. So it's you know it's not just kind of you zip on through, find out who the traitor is, uh, and then play another round. It it feels like it's going to be a kind of heftier experience than that. Um, so like I say, the the idea is that you are steering the ship around the map, moving between spaces, trying to get it to where you want it to go without giving away your uh, affiliation because you can be tossed overboard um and the kraken then eats you but if you're the cultist leader that's a good thing because that's your <laughs> destiny so that actually wins the game for the cultists i believe is oh so you oh gosh yeah okay. yeah well the cultist leader yeah so i'm i'm kind of intrigued by this yeah, i've got to say it's a it's a fun a premise spicier. And I'd be interested to see what the player elimination aspect of it is like, if it's 45 to 90 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember it exactly, uh, and I'm not going to scan through this Kickstarter now, but uh, hopefully they've got some kind of thing in place there where you're not just... You get eliminated on the first round and sit there for 60 minutes going, I know who it no, is. Yeah, it happens toward the end of the game, doesn't it? Okay, yeah. Mm. Perfect. But it's um, from the makers of Glenmore, uh, which is a pretty well-liked... Uh, board game that I've not played, but I hear very good things about it. So it they've me of, um, have you played Tortuga? Yes, I have the sixteen sixty seven that kind of series. Is that the yeah, one? Yeah, it's the 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 facade games like book series, um, but it's got a similar thing where it's like, although in that it's classical pirate, so it's I think it's French and English or Spanish and English or something like that, and then you've got one sort of uh, smaller group who are just trying to you know, play both sides, so you want them to draw so you come out on top kind of thing. Are they also hmm. trying to feed a kraken, or not? They're not trying to feed a kraken. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got a similar dynamic, I think, and, and sort of slightly similar theme, if you if you minus the kraken. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I'm uh, kind of intrigued by this. Uh, but if you're intrigued, you only have a few days to go and back it on Kickstarter, because um, it finishes on November the 18th, so that's next Wednesday, if you're listening to this when this goes up. Um, but it's already passed its goal, so it's funded. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of, it, yeah, like I say, intrigued to see whether it justifies the length of time. You know, does it just drag if you're playing with a lot of people? Um, mm. But there we go. Let's move on to emails. If you've got an email for the Dicebreaker podcast, you can reach us at podcast at dicebreaker.com. You can find us on Twitter at joindicebreaker. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Dicebreaker, you'll find us. Uh, and of course, yeah. you can head to Dicebreaker.com and throw your questions in the comments. Johnny, would you like to read this one from Julia, please? Yes. Hello, Dicebreaker. Have any of you physically recreated a game you liked? For example, I made The Resistance in the theme of Pacific Rim, because that is my favourite movie and I didn't want to spend money on the game. <laughs> <laughs> also because the visuals of Pacific Rim don't affect gameplay. I also wanted to make my own version of Modern Art by Mayfair because it is out of print and really expensive. Julia. Um, 
I guess, kind of. Like, I, so, um, a hidden artist, uh, a fake artist, sorry, goes to New York. It's a great game. But I find the size of the paper, while, you know, handy for the box, like, oh, it's a little ditty box with a little ditty paper. Um, it makes it, like, it, I think it strips some of the social deduction out of it. Because not everyone can see what's mm. being drawn as it's being drawn. Whereas sometimes you're like, mm, you clearly didn't know what you were drawing until the end when you decided to make it into a handbag or whatever. I think it's quite useful. So um, basically, yes, we play it on pieces of A4. That's <laughs> the most boring answer, but th- that. I'd love to play it on a big, like, almost like school teacher level whiteboard. I think that would be <laughs> yeah. quite fun. If you like had an enough, art attack. Enough pens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone put down one blanket and one, you know... <laughs> Sprinkle some pasta shapes on the school field. The imposter is is the headmaster who chases everyone out at the end. Enormous macrame. Um, has anyone else physically remade a board game? Um, the only one that I've done is is uh, Skull with uh, beer mats, which I think is originally how it's played. So you just you put an X yeah. on one beer mat and then. But yeah, apart from that, I think I've uh, I've not had the, the time or the patience. <laughs> yeah, I've n- I've never gone as far as kind of retheming a game. Um, but I think similar to Johnny and Wills, I've like telestrations, obviously you can just grab some A4. Mm. Um, I think there was a, a card game, like a social deduction card game. I can't remember that we worked out using a set of playing cards because we didn't have it with us, but we owned it at home. Uh, I would say that obviously if you like a game, pay the people that made it. Don't mm. just download games and play them for free. Um, there are a lot of print, print and play games out there, but obviously, you know, support designers because, you know, they need it. Uh, and if you enjoy something, you should play it. And good components are worth the the investment if you're having a good time of it. Um, hmm. But yeah, I've n- never rethemed something. I don't think I definitely as a kid, I remember making my own set of trading cards. Um, but oh, obviously, yeah. I couldn't produce them to the scale of a trading card <laughs> game, so I didn't really have anyone to trade with. So I had a complete set and just tried to find people that would play with me. It was like a very basic version of Top Trumps. I love it. Oh, yeah. Matt Jarvis. That is the most Matt Jarvis story. I got my mum to laminate them at work so that yes. they would survive. Oh, <laughs> my God. That's excellent. That is excellent. I love that. Oh, I'm imagining the theme being maybe anime robots. No, I think it was StarCraft because I was big into StarCraft at the time. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Might have run into some licensing issues as well. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the second bottleneck, really. In, in yes. to, to I'm not going to be back in the Kickstarter. So, yeah, as a nine-year-old, the IP lawyers were really hard to deal with. Uh, <laughs> they just wouldn't take you seriously. Uh, have I... Re- no, I've not recreated a book. Um, I'm not great at arts and crafts. Um, usually I make some sort of error or... or rip something or just get frustrated and then deliberately rip it um i remember once we had a copy of monopoly and one of the cards had gone missing (laughs) so i i got a piece of card and and drew on it what i thought looked like what the card looked like funny enough people couldn't understand what it was (laughs) so uh that happened but yeah, no, um, I think that's obviously, again, uh, please um, pay creators for their work. But yeah, I think that's kind of interesting, re-theming things. Uh, or just make your own game, you know. Mm. Channel that creativity into a, uh, into making a trading card game and get your mom to like, laminate it. 
I th- when yeah. I was in uni, I did try and like. So, you know, we, I can't really go into much detail because we we do stuff outside of work. But like, I, I used to try and make board games in uni, which never went anywhere. Um, but I do remember like getting like pieces of card and writing out my own cards and stuff. Mm. And like, it is actually really fun and, and quite uh, like quite therapeutic to to write out little rule cards and stuff. If you've got like a Google Doc there, you're just sort of like filling it out. It's like a nice little Sunday activity. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Wheels, would you like to read this one from Callum, please? Uh, Callum asks, what's a strong family game which can be picked up in about 10 minutes and it's only mildly competitive? Answers on a postcard, mm-hmm. ladies and gents. Machikoro, I don't think, is very competitive. Yeah. And that's just a fun one to, to sort of um, just to keep rolling and being like, hooray, I rolled nicely. I think there's maybe a... Um, like a possibility for that kind of sibling jealousy of like oh he's got this thing that activates on a seven mm. I don't have anything that works on a seven but if you, if that's not a risk then I think Match Car is a delight yeah, it's yeah kind of... I think that fits mildly competitive as well rather than like yeah like you know there's there's a hint of sort of oh I just stole your coin but it's like, it's never really like super aggressive mm. you never really target anyone directly other than the stealing of coins but I think even then Normally, it's dictated by the person next to you, or something like that. Or is that maybe mm-hmm. only if you're Whoever drawing on coins? Dice. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's that kind of passive passive thing, like you're saying, where you benefit by other people rolling your numbers, but you're not yeah. just like piling on someone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would say mildly competitive is Happy Salmon, uh, which <laughs> I've had on the mind recently because it's just so great. Um, but it's technically competitive because there's a winner, but. You know, you're all kind of benefiting from each other because you're trying to match cards and do the moves at the same time. So you're you have to work together to kind of race and pull ahead at the end. Mm. Um, but Happy Salmon is just a delight. I it kind of gone out of my mind for a while because I haven't played it because of everything going on. Um, but what a game! It's just it's an instant recommendation to everyone I meet. Just putting that little fish yeah. fish bag in their hands. Fish bag. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, man. <laughs> um, hmm. See, this is the tricky part: is how competitive it is. Um, maybe, maybe something like point salad, in the sense that you're working more towards building your own collection rather than really paying attention to what other people's doing. Although I suppose you could take cards to deliberately stop someone from building their collection. But I don't know whether very young younger players would e- would look at doing that that's kind of like a very you know several steps ahead kind of um, move either that or maybe in a similar vein like Sushi Go like Sushi Go again you are obviously taking from the same pool it's still card drafting but I think both the, the art style and it's very easy to to teach and learn and again you're kind of more working towards building your own collection rather than deliberately uh, you know uh, messing up someone else's and if you're an older person doing that to a younger player then I feel like maybe you need to take things a little less seriously but um, yeah yeah Or, or maybe escape from the curse of 
the cursed temple. Me, all right, me and I need to stop you now because I've I had I had um, point salad as my recommendation, and I was like, all oh, right, I'll no, think I'm someone else. And then and then I went, oh well, sushi goes probably a good one as well. And then you said that, and then cursed the temple as well. It's ridiculous. I'm thinking exactly along the same way. I don't know. It's it's that twin genes, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, um, twin. I'll tell you what. I'll take. I'll talk about escape. From yeah, Curse you of talk the temple. about. You can talk about Curse of the Temple. I haven't mentioned it. So Curse, Curse of the Temple is a real time game. I think kids will love this kind of thing because yeah. it's hectic and it is like it's over super quickly. Um, not only do you pick it up in ten minutes, but it literally takes ten minutes to play because you you play to a soundtrack essentially, which gives you the prompts as to what's happening. But it's a real-time dice rolling game where you're like laying out tiles to explore a temple, trying to deal with the consequences, and then like rolling your dice to try and make sets to do actions, whilst trying to avoid um, like these black masks. That if you roll, it locks your die, and then you need to unlock a gold mask to to get them back. So you can get like stuck, and you have to help each other out and stuff. So it's like it's it's not competitive at all because it's co-op, um, but it's also kind of. Uh, it's got that mild element of like, what are you doing? Get over here. Help me. What's going on? Which I, I think like, especially for a family, I think would be quite fun because you've, you've already got that sort of like, um, or at least for my family anyway, you've always got, you've already got that kind of like nitpicky kind of, uh, excuse me. I need some help over here, bro. Can you come over and like stop fannying around with that, uh, crystal over there? <laughs> so yeah, I think How that'd be pretty good. that been said? <laughs> There are so many like custom soundtracks as well, right? I think yes. you can just go and find entire websites kind of dedicated to. Yeah, you can play with the Benny Hill theme when uh, when you oh, rush, rush back to the uh, origin point, which is very yeah. funny. Yeah, I think there's an app for that now, isn't there? Because it used to come with a CD mm. ROM. Yes. Kid- kiddos, they used to do these things called CD ROM. Um, a computer but- disc. <laughs> <laughs> but now I think it comes with a with an, a free companion app. Yeah. You can use. So I really, I would also really recommend the game. It's very good. All right, uh, Johnny. Let's go back to you. Would you like to read this one from Bumberiest, please? Sure. Hello, Dicebreaker. My question is if you know any RPGs that are well suited to play by forum, where players won't get to bounce off others' ideas in real time, but scheduling is less uh, less of an issue since players contribute when they have time. Thanks, Bumberiest. Um, that's a good question because I've been trying to. Th- think of rpgs that can be played in this format and i've come up with nothing i wonder if aegon would work quite well for probably because it's all very one big thing happens mm. uh, and then you just sort of chatter around it and then you kind of you get your dice roll and then figure it out afterwards so i wonder if that mm. would help the kind of format of like not being able to sort of like have those uh those like dedicated conversations and like bouncing off and doing lots of little dice rolls rather than just pulling everything into one big action mm. yeah I think that makes a lot of sense mm. there's quite a few oh sorry man you go I, just say, I would imagine it would have to be an RPG that yeah you're not expected to do loads of little actions mm. that maybe you write like a paragraph of something your character does and then the next person would follow that up with something else and I swear I've heard about RPGs that do something like that but none of the names are coming to my head <laughs> there is that online um, is it Storium or something like that mm. that we were going to play with Rock Paper Shotgun but it, um, I think we had some scheduling issues in the end yeah the online storytelling game mm. Mm. Is Storium is an S-T-O-R-I-U-M which is kind of like an online 
it kind of like builds the form for you and you'll you'll decide what your character's going to do next based on a sort of card that you draw and stuff like that and then fill out the next bit of prose so it's a mm. it's a bit less reliant on being in the same room and more like sort of you are collectively um playing character but also like nudging the story along like you all take turns being the gm almost when you play which is which is probably a, a good good thing to look into it also probably takes a lot less setup because it's already kind of built for you i can't vouch for how good it is because i've never played it but <laughs> that sounds like a good fit mm, i would say that well we have a we have a very good list of gmless rpgs um i'd say that something like that probably works quite well because then you can just rely on the players almost taking their turns you don't have to have a gm kind of going back and saying okay roll x number or do y or whatever it may be it's kind of very player driven so i think something like fiasco would probably work quite well Mm. um because you can almost just describe what your character's doing you know submit a paragraph the next person adds a paragraph but there's no need for someone to as gm kind of mediate and interrupt and get in the middle it Mm. it's just completely uh driven by the character and Fiasco has like a very solid structure, like a f- mm. two act structure. Um, so I think that would make it easier to play by forum. Whereas like the more free form stuff, it kind of loses why those games are often so fun in person. Mm. Yeah, or invent your own RPG. Yeah, this mm. is your time. Do it. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> it's, it's worth saying as well that. Like, if you're looking to, to dip a toe into it and just get people kind of used to playing by forum, you know, like a fully-fledged RPG might be quite a lot because dice rolls are hard to do. But there are loads of storytelling games that build off of prompts um, where people take it in turns to write a sentence or say a paragraph or whatever it may be. And that might help you get a feel for exactly how your group, you know, works best when they're talking by forum or the best way of doing it. Um, so you might even be able to adapt that into a setting that you kind of then want to build into a campaign or a kind of bigger thing mr jarvis what was that uh rpg i wrote about a few months ago might month might be a bit much that was it was like a sci-fi one was it a, was it spencer stark it was someone like we knew relatively uh who was making it and it's about like telling your stories about your journey Oh, this is going to really annoy me now. Uh, <laughs> it's not ringing a bell, unfortunately, for me. Yeah, no. <laughs> I can't remember what it's called, but maybe I'll, I'll find it and tweet about it or something. Um, yeah, sorry, that was a waste of everyone's time. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, mean, well, I mean, if we're talking about Spencer, I can't really talk about it because Spencer's a friend of mine, but um, he has just recently uh, kickstarted a campaign about sort of literally playing away from each other. Um, in Alice is Missing, so that would probably be a good fit mm. as well. Oh, that's true. Alice is Missing is it works over WhatsApp, so that yeah. would that yeah. it's literally built around messaging. Exactly, so yeah. I would imagine that works by forum. I think there's pro- there's probably quite a few systems like that where like it's it's designed to be played away from each other. So maybe just do a little digging. Mm. Like a lot of the best experiences of uh, yeah experiences that I've had with RPGs have been from little indie games that are very unique and stuff. So yeah, it might be worth just sort of having a flick through itch.io and stuff like that and see what you can find. Going to say there's almost a certainty that something on itch.io fits exactly this because yes. there there yeah, always exactly. is because people <coughs> are great on itch.io. They're yeah. just brilliantly inventive. But, uh, Wills, let's bounce back to you for this last one from oh. Tom in the Midlands. Sorry, I was just going to say I found it. It's called Tales End. That's it. Oh, oh yeah. It's it- 
Colin Cummings. Colin Cummings of one. yes, of boy problems. Boy problems. Fame. That's the one. Um, ah. Yeah, this could this could work well because it's literally you're just exchanging like parts of the same story that you share mm -hmm. about a journey. So I imagine that would work well over a full run. Mm -hmm. There you go. There you Wheels. go. Great. All right, go so. We have a question from Tom here, who is cat herding in the Midlands. Uh, hello, Dicebreaker podcast team. I'm currently running a D&D game for eight players via video chat. Tom, I'm going to stop you there. <laughs> uh, this is this has basically become an exercise in herding cats in a foreign language, which I do not speak, whilst also being alien to the land where cats require such tending. Uh, one problem I have found is that due to the number of players involved, it can sometimes take a while, particularly in combat encounters between player turns, this inevitably leads to wandering minds and me having to repeat myself as DM to recap what has happened. Do you have any tips or suggestions for make ways to make narrative games more engaging for larger groups, especially when there is an obvious lack of visual stimuli? Kind regards, Tom. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, mm. I I, the problem is I don't think D&D is designed to be played with that many players. Um, mm. And like even, even with the an amount of players that you're supposed to play it with i think the combat encounters i pers i've said this a few times i think they can drag quite a bit mm -hmm. oh my god like, i can't imagine what that's like with eight yeah players. yeah that so might come back out. in 45 minutes and you can have your turn yeah. again yeah i think i think a lot of times when we get questions like this it's, it's often like oh how can i like trick my players into being correct here and it's like well like empathize with your players that they have to sit mm. there for about half an hour waiting for their next turn and like I, I can't blame them for getting bored. Like I think even the most uh, descriptive and like enticing GM would struggle to keep you in, engaged for like nine or ten combat rounds before you actually yeah. get back to your t turn again. Um, I find um, when it, combat's taking a long time, I just start giving people fifteen seconds to think of what they're going to do. Because sometimes people will be like, okay, so... And sometimes they will need a recap. They'll be like, where am I in relation to other people? That's fine. But when people are like, because I'm thinking if I did this, this would be quite useful. Nah, none of that. Nip it in the bud. Like, you've got 10 <laughs> seconds. Um, but the simple fact is eight is a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I actually... It sounds really counterintuitive because obviously if you split the party and you've got four who aren't even in this scene, then they're just sat there waiting for it to come back to them. However, if you split the party... Um, and you're doing combat with one lot and come up with another lot, um, doing it in little bursts where they're on repeatedly in just a, a, a list of four players, um, they'll probably get through more turns and pay more attention in short bursts than if you were just doing it with eight in one initiative order. I didn't explain that very well. But basically, two, two small parties, you'll get through more, mm. especially if you're disciplined about it, than one massive party. Mm. Yeah. I feel like part of... Well, like any role-playing game as well, like keeping track of that as DM-GM must be so hard, kind of the yeah. position of everyone. And a lot of the, at least personally, like a lot of the fun I have is working with other characters and other players. And if you've got that number of people trying to ensure that everyone's kind of linking up with everyone just sounds, it sounds a lot. Like, obviously, you know, if you have a group of friends that all want to play D&D, that's, you know, that is what it is. But I think at some point, it's just kind of like maybe a different game or maybe finding a solution that works. Like I, I have a friend who plays in a large group and they almost take shifts. Um, like they're all within the same world and they're all part of, I think they're, they're operating under some kind of banner, but they can be in different parts of the world. And so they're kind of on then off. 
and that is much more manageable and allows those characters to kind of connect with each other in these small bands, come back together at points for the end of a campaign or at kind of different points and then set off in different combinations. Mm. So you've also then got a kind of dynamic, you know, way of everyone interacting with each other but not having to juggle eight balls in the air at the same time while also yeah. flicking through rule books and everything else. And I think it, in the long term, it will probably more be more engaging for the players because there'd be short gaps between their actions, but they'll also get a better sense of where they are in each scene and how the role they play in that party. Mm. There are there are a few systems as well that kind of lean into that idea that not every player is in every single session. Like you can have, you know, like for example, there's a few where you play as like a mercenary company, mm. and it's, you know you just assemble like a squad, go out, do your task, and come back, and then you know next session you might have slightly less people. So it might be easier, given what like it depends on the schedules you have and stuff like that. But it might be easier to just be like, okay, look, we're gonna grab whoever's free. Uh, each session i'm just gonna put a hard cap on it first come first served and then if you didn't play this week you get first dibs next week and all that kind of stuff and just like splitting splitting the party like per session rather than um right down the middle during the session it might just give people more of a taste of what it's actually like to to play with that smaller more sort of like uh refined group yeah would probably help i think ultimately there does come a point at which you have to acknowledge that if eight people playing D D in one group over zoom isn't working it's not because you're not you're not smart enough it's not because yeah. you're not trying hard enough it's that the, the game she just she she can't support it captain <laughs> it's no use gun yeah i pretty much agree with everyone there you go fantastic all right <laughs> uh, and with that i think it's about all we have time for this week again if you've got any emails or questions, fire them over to podcast at dicebreaker.com. But before we leave you, let's look at what's coming up on youtube.com slash dicebreaker. Johnny. Mm, we've got uh, the continuing adventures of Dungeon Breaker, as per usual. We've got a list on the best party games. Uh, that's being uh, helmed by one Michael Whelan. King um, of parties. And next week, we're <laughs> going to be playing Those Dark Places with Jonathan Hicks. We are. Uh, and over on dicebreaker.com, uh, you can find a guide to being a sorcerer in D&D, written by one Alex Meehan. I am uh, a sorcerer. <laughs> indeed. Uh, you can find uh, Ree Conley chatting about the fear of missing out, which I think is, particularly in the age of Kickstarter, is a very common feeling. Mm. Um, that feeling that if you don't back something immediately, you'll never get to play it, and you'll never find yeah. a copy. Mm. Um, and we also have coming up this week a guide to playing Pioneer in Magic the Gathering. Uh, um, along with many other things, the usual daily news, uh, and of course, you know, the usual videos and nattering and all that other stuff you've come to expect from Dicebreaker. But until we return next Friday with the next Dicebreaker podcast, thank you for being here, Johnny Chiodini. Thank you very much. Thank you, Alex Mean. Emails. <laughs> thank you, Wales. I've got my pickle at the ready. Michael mm. Pickle Whelan. Oh, that's so. That's not. Oh my god! How many pickles are left in that? How have you found more pickles? I thought you'd finished them all. Uh, anyway, we can't get stuck in the pickle chat again. I have been Matt Jarvis. Thank you for listening to the Dicebreaker podcast. We'll be back next week. But until then, look after yourselves out there. Stay safe and have a lovely day. Bye. Bye. Bye.